If you're a pastor, elder, deacon, nonprofit board member, or business owner, I need you to listen to this. K&K Furnishings needs to be on your shortlist. K&K Furnishings are committed to helping you find the right furnishings for your church or organization. These guys specialize in quality worship seating, welcome centers, cafes, nurseries, classrooms, as well as stage and podium furnishings. The two owners have over 70 years of combined pastoral experience, so not only will every transaction be handled with integrity and professionalism, but they have the experience to provide you with the perfect solutions for your furniture needs, and they absolutely understand your budget constraints and demands. K&K Furnishings are devoted to providing you quality pieces that save you money. They can do this because they don't have the overhead of a brick and mortar store and they have relationships with over 200 manufacturers nationwide. Look, we all know there's a lot of junk out there. K&K understands that many times bargains aren't true money savers. They end up costing you more in the long run. At K&K, they believe that quality furnishings don't have to be outrageously expensive. And here's the best part. K&K Furnishings sells nationally and can also provide in-person consultations in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. If you can't meet in person, they'd be happy to set up a Zoom consultation for you today. So whatever your next project is, whether it's your home office or your church sanctuary, K&K Furnishings is the only place you need to look. Go to www.kkfurnishings.com to see how they can help you or call 567-318-4520. That's www.kkfurnishings.com or call 567-318-4520 or click on the link in the description of this episode. K&K Furnishings, furnishing business, education, worship, and hospitality for the glory of God. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I got to tell you about Jacob's Supply. Jacob's Supply is the place you got to go for all of your material needs. These guys bring you construction supplies and appliances for up to 50% off retail price, all brand new. Your home builder needs some lumber? Jacob's Supply has you covered. You a deacon at your church and you're in charge of that next Narthex floor job? Jacob's Supply has got you. Heck, they got Cortec Luxury Vinyl Plank right now for $3.59 a square foot. Go look that stuff up at Lowe's or Home Depot, man. That stuff is selling for $7 to $8 a square Square foot. That's over 50% off retail. Even if you just have some home projects you're working on, Jacob Supply is the place for you. I just built an outdoor grilling area this spring for that old smoker and grill. Guess where I got the metal roof, lumber, and screws? Yeah, that's right, Jacob Supply. Looking for a fridge, stove, washer, dryer? They got them all, and their name brand. Samsung, Bosch, Frigidaire, all 20, 30, 40% off retail. Brand new and ready for you. Located in Temperance, Michigan, it's worth it to stop by even if you're a few hours away. And remember, Jacob Supply can ship products nationally too. So even if you're out of state, you gotta check them out. Follow them on Facebook at Jacob Supply or call them direct at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978. 0978. Remember, Jacob Supply, quality building materials at wholesale prices. And now, on to the show. Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone. There it is. Wait for it. Yeah, another episode of Dead Men Walking Podcast. Where the only will we're concerned about is the will of Christ, and the only rock that we like is the Rock of Ages. I'm going to try to keep it light here on the podcast because we have a heavy subject today and a good one. Um, We are live streaming right now, but this will also be released. If you're listening to this, it'll be released on April 13th. So if you're joining us on live stream and you go, hey, I can't catch the entire hour Uh, I have to go to work. I have the kids to attend to. Whatever it is, you can always catch this on April 13th. It'll go live wherever you get podcasts. Or you can uh, visit dmwpodcast.com. You can check out our website, a little bit about me and Jason, or Jason and I, if you want to be grammatically correct. I don't. And um, even visit the merch uh, shop and uh, support the show. So we appreciate it. So live with us today, 
we have two groups. Uh, we have Andrew Griffith, who's the president of Pro-Life Man, Thomas White, who's the vice president of Pro-Life Man, and we have T. Russell Hunter, who's the founder of Free the States, and James Silverson, I want to make sure I say that the right way, Silberman, uh, who is the communication director. And uh, we wanted to have a discussion today. Uh, I've noticed that there has been tension or that there are sometimes differences within the pro-life community and when in uh, within the uh, abolitionist community. Some of you might be going, I'm not too familiar with either one of those or one or the other. And that's part of what we want to do today is one, define those, see what those differences and tensions are, if any, and then maybe make a biblical um, a point of why we do believe what we believe. Now, this isn't a debate. I'm not a debate moderator. We are going to try to keep things moving, but uh, we are going to try to have some type of structure to it, just so that way we are not uh, all over the place and you're listening to five people talk at one time. That just wouldn't make for a very good show. So uh, up first, I do want Pro-Life Man to introduce themselves. Um, Andrew, Thomas, tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, what the Pro-Life Man uh, organization is all about. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks so much, Greg, for hosting this debate. Thank you, Dead Men Walking. Um, thank you to James and Russell for being willing to be a part of this. I think this is going to be awesome, no matter where people find themselves on the side of this debate. And if they, you know, at the end of this, they find themselves more entrenched on their side or somewhere in the middle or switching sides or whatever. I don't really care. I just think this is super informative for everyone that's uh, watching this and, and participating in this. So thank you. Um, I mean that sincerely. Um, so my name is Andy Griffith. And just to get that out of the way first, yes, that's really my name. Okay. Uh, you know, just want to get distractions out of the way. No, my mom doesn't hate me. Okay. You, you don't come from Mayberry? Joke. I don't. Okay. I don't. Well, but I'm, so <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave that and, and not comment. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I founded Pro-Life Man in 2018. Um, early on in 2018, I felt really convicted that I wasn't doing enough for preborn children. And, uh, you know, I've always been told by different people, whether it's the pro-life movement or just personal people in my life that, you know, oh, write your senator, you know, and we're in Michigan with two very, very pro-abortion senators. And so writing my senators isn't doing any good. Um, you know, they probably won't even read my letter. And so I wanted to do more than just write my senator. And so I started looking online for things to get involved in. And, you know, the pro-life movement is largely um, feminine and geared towards women. And I just wasn't connecting with a lot of stuff that I was finding. And so I wanted to find a men's pro-life group. And, you know, I couldn't find anything. Um, I did have awareness of Knights of Columbus and that, you know, they do some pro-life work and provide ultrasounds for pregnancy centers and stuff like that. But I'm per personally not Catholic. And therefore, I didn't think Knights of Columbus was a good fit for me. And so I'm literally Googling pro-life men's groups for hours and not finding anything. And so then I thought, okay, well, I know what's happened here. Google is suppressing these search results. <laughs> and so I need to start just typing domain names straight into the domain uh, field and see if I can find something. And so my first website that I typed in was prolifeman.com and prolifeman.org, thinking that something would be there. It just made sense to me that something would already be there in existence. And there was nothing. And so I kept searching other domain names and, and found nothing. It was a complete dead end. I ended up circling back to prolifeman.com. And you know I was like, oh, maybe my internet wasn't working the first time. There's got to be something there. And there wasn't anything there. And I'm just completely shocked. And I see this little ad in the lower right hand corner of the site that says, you know, buy this domain for 17 bucks for the year. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this domain. 
and I didn't know what I was going to do with it, why I was buying it. I remember coming home telling my wife, hey, I bought a website today, you know, and she's like, what'd you do that for? I don't know. <laughs> she's like, okay, what are you going to do with it? No clue. I just felt led to buy it. And um, so as I was mulling over over the next few weeks of what what am I going to do with this website? What can I do with it? You know, I was reflecting on my own personal story about how I had pretty much my entire life been pro-life, even before I became a Christian. Even when I was an atheist, I was pro-life. But I was convinced by the common pro-abortion talking points of, uh, you know, no uterus, no opinion. You're, it's a woman's choice. It's her body, her choice. And so I was personally pro-life, but not outwardly pro-life, right? And I, I wouldn't kill a baby. I wouldn't want that. But I don't want to force my manly opinion on a woman. You know, I don't want to oppress any women. And I just recently came out of that and decided that I'm going to be no longer silent. And so that's what I realized I could do is I could at least start an online presence trying to encourage other men to also be no longer silent. That's why I see the sign here behind us. That's our tagline, no longer silent. And um, so, yeah, so started that in 2018. Um, by the end of 2018, I realized I needed to get legal with the feds and the state, registered with all those. And uh, January 2019, formed a board and had our first ever board meeting. A few months later, we got 501c3 nonprofit status from the federal government. Um, and so Pro-Life Man has two missions. Number one, to encourage men to be a voice for preborn sons and daughters. And number two, provide help and healing for men grieving abortion. We purposely use that language of preborn sons and daughters um, because we feel that it rehumanizes children in the womb. And, you know, they're not just a clump of cells. They're not just a blob of tissue. They're a son or a daughter. And that's a biological fact from the moment of conception. Um, I also feel like that language kind of subconsciously, if nothing else, puts in the back of your mind that there's also a man involved. It's not just a woman that's involved with this preborn son or daughter. There was also a man involved that created that. So reinserting men into the picture and into the debate. Awesome. And um, yeah, that's my pitch. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Russell, James, you guys want to give us a little intro of Free the States and what you guys are all about? Yeah. Um, actually, it's a, listening to uh, Brother Andrew's testimony is incredibly similar to my own. Um, maybe I'm a little older, but so back in, in it was like 2010, uh, a similar thing happened to me where I basically... Uh, just things that the Lord was doing in my life, I started reflecting on kind of like whether or not I was loving my neighbors as myself or really practicing the golden rule rule in my community. And uh, happened to be at the same time in a doctoral program and reading a bunch of stuff on the abolitionists of slavery. And through a bunch of detail that I've said elsewhere, um, I, I felt really kind of rebuked by God because I was kind of a very ivory tower Christian, both at church and at the school and wasn't really living for other people. I wasn't really laying down my life for my neighbors. And I really wasn't really standing up considerably or boldly for the gospel in our culture. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, I was studying the abolition of slavery and I just kind of started thinking, what is the kind of mass evil of our time that's sort of going on under protection of law. Everyone's just sort of being silent about it, um, sort of tolerating it. What is that evil? And am I complicit? And it was just very abortion. You know, I was I was pro-life. I was in a pro-life church. There was a Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, I, I was even giving like $100 a month to a crisis pregnancy center. But I kind of knew that I was not myself really doing for them what I would want done for me. And and like Andrew, I I you know went to the internet. I was gonna look around for groups and uh, started you know searching all the different groups, all the different things that different people do. You know whether it's showing images on campuses, going to clinics, legislative, political, legal stuff. And I took a very um, I don't know kind of 
at that time, academic approach to all these websites. And, uh, and I was looking for one that was sort of like boldly, outwardly Christian, unashamedly sort of biblical in their arguments. Um, uh, ap- apologetically, I'd kind of become convinced of a presuppositional approach to apologetics and just sort of declaring the word of God as true and, and believing that men just suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so I was looking for a lot of those things in pro-life groups and uh, I didn't seem to come across um, anything that I thought was what I wanted to do. So um, in Norman, Oklahoma, just at our at our church, uh, me and some other guys, uh, pretty much my age and a little younger, um, I was a grad student and there were some undergrad guys that I started with. We decided, well, we'll kind of, we'll figure this out as we go. We'll start an abolitionist society and we'll we'll try to make fighting abortion a regular part of our lives. We'll try to approach the abortion issue as sort of a love your neighbor issue and look at the word of God and say, okay, what does it look like to be a Christian in a culture that practices like unmitigated, legally protected child sacrifice? What should we do? What does the word of God say? And so we started meeting and trying to figure out that um, and, uh, you know, started an abolition society, but that was 2010, um, did that, did a lot of stuff, you know, all that AHA stuff and just different, mainly cultural focused kind of evangelicalism and abortion on college campuses, high schools, clinics, city streets for a good six or seven straight years. And then after that kind of had bubbled up enough to where some legislators and people in politics began to say, hey, um, I'll, I'll file a bill that treats abortion as murder. Will you guys support it? And that kind of brought a lot of the the abolitionist sentiments and stuff that I was doing into the legal political realm. And that gave birth to sort of like gubernatorial candidate Dan Fisher running for governor, abolition bills being filed. And then out of that, Free the States was founded. Um, Free the States is uh, it's a legislative lobbying organization. Um, we really do. We, we do exist kind of to try to help people understand which bills that are being put forward for them to to support or not support, treat abortion as murder, actually um, would be the kind of in our language the kind of the kind of laws that would establish justice, the kind of bills that God would support, that God would say write these kind of laws because the the word of God is pretty clear, like on what kind of laws He likes and what kind of laws He doesn't like, and so free the states kind of came on the scene to say. Well, in a state like Oklahoma, where you've got 15 to 20 pro-life bills, um, and they're just all said, hey, these are pro-life, support them. Are any of these bills bills that we shouldn't support? And do people understand why? So Free the States was founded to sort of be able to point, this is abortion, is murder, it should be abolished. This is abortion, is healthcare, it should be regulated. Support this bill, not that bill. Um, and that was back in 2019. And so we've gotten very uh, legislative focused through that. But our heart still is, um, you know, on kind of waking up the church by the church. I just mean the people of God, believers and followers of Jesus Christ to see abortion as not a special calling issue for some people, but to see abortion and its abolition as 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 a work that the church needs to be doing because the church has the gospel and the gospel being the answer to sin for individuals and for communities, cultures, countries. Um, that needs to be at the forefront of our weaponry against the culture of death. So we, we, we spend most of our time trying to get pastors and churches educated, involved, um, doing everything from going to abortion mills to the state capitol to support uh, bills to abolish abortion. 
So that's a rambly introduction. No, that's good. Thank you so much. So a lot of people who might be listening up to this point go, well, these guys sound pretty darn similar. So uh, could maybe we jump back over to you, uh, Andrew and Thomas, and just go, okay, I want to, for the people, define abortion, define your stance on it, and and define what your view is within the pro-life community, and then maybe we can do the same with what abolition is, what your stance on abortion is, and what you define it is within the abolition community. So uh, just a quick introduction. I'm Thomas White. Uh, I'm vice president of Pro-Life Man. I'm also an EMT. Uh, We have five board members uh, at Pro-Life Man. They're all medical personnel. Uh, two EMTs, three nurses. So this is kind of the the background that we're coming from. Uh, I'm going to just read to you verbatim uh, our pro-life man values. Pro-life man recognizes human life at conception and that abortion is the intentional killing of that human life at all stages within the womb. Science verifies that human life begins in the womb. Science also verifies that abortion ends that human life. We believe abortion is not only wrong, but evil, regardless the circumstances, including instances of rape, incest, deformity, and to save the mother's life. Specifically, in cases of the life of the mother, we agree with doctors, including former abortionists, that intentionally killing a baby is never needed to save the life of the mother because there are other life saving procedures to save the mother and give the baby the best chances of survival. Pro-Life Man emphasizes that men are essential to protecting the life of the preborn. Abortion is not merely a women's rights issue. Abortion is the nation's greatest human rights violation. Abortion kills humans, both male and female, all created by a man, the father, and the woman, the mother. Men are often excluded in the abortion debate, and more importantly, the decision regarding their pre-born son's or daughter's life. Pro-life man encourages men to speak out against abortion and defend human life in the womb. So that's that's pro-life man, but but taking um taking the camera back to to the pro-life movement in general. Uh, I can't speak for all the pro-life movement, but I I think we we speak for the the majority is that the end goal of the pro-life movement is the complete cessation of abortion. And there's multiple strategies to get there. Uh, I don't think that there's a unified strategy, uh, but legally, uh, there there are strategies legally uh, with like free the states, you know, they choose to ignore Roe. That's that's a legal, uh, a legal strategy. Uh, but pro-lifers, um, we set up legislation that would challenge Roe in order to get it overturned. And then one of the uh, other strategies that I don't think has been explored yet, but a convention of the states is uh, creating a, a, a personhood amendment that establishes the, the right to life for, for all humans. Awesome. Uh, guys at Free the States, uh, can you kind of give us the same uh, where you're coming from, your stance on abortion and uh, how you see it within the abolitionist movement? Yeah. So as Russell said in the kind of introduction, um, you know, we've we think abortion is murder. And that's the point where I think there's probably an agreement between us and you guys, you know, abortion is murder. Um, and then the kind of the, the divergence is on um, 
probably a couple of different things. There's probably the divergence, um, maybe not with you guys in particular, but most of the pro-life movement, like we would be very gospel centered and we would be kind of open and kind of lead with that. And I think a lot of pro-life groups kind of don't. So that's kind of another discussion. But I'm going to focus mostly on kind of immediatism versus incrementalism and why we think um, we need to reject the incremental strategy. Um, and so as Russell said, it's murder, it's not healthcare. And so when we write laws about abortion, um, we should write laws that are consistent with the truth. Um, and there are a, a lot of reasons uh, why we should do that, both pragmatically and principally. Um, and so I'm going to go through six quick reasons as, as quickly as I can here, um, why we think we should uh, write laws that immediately abolish abortion instead of kind of incrementally try to get closer and closer by regulating abortion more and more over time. So reason number one, we believe that incrementally regulating abortion is not biblical. And I could not do this justice in just, just a minute or two here. Um, and so there's a couple of videos on YouTube I would recommend. I would recommend episode four of The Liberator, um, The Biblical Arguments for Abolitionism, and then Smashing Doug Wilson's Smash Mouth Incrementalism, a presentation Russell gave. Um, but as quickly as I can, essentially, Scripture says, establish justice for the fatherless. Scripture says, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. And so if you look at a bill, like let's take the dismemberment abortion ban, for instance, you've got a bill that says you may not dismember a preborn child through D and E abortion, but you may dismember a child through D and C abortion, right? So you can't perform abortion this way. You can perform abortion in this way. And so I think when you look at that, I think you'd have to say, you'd have to admit, yes, that is iniquitous to write in a law that you can murder a child, tear them limb from limb in this way, that that's iniquitous. And I think the incremental argument would be, well, it saves some lives. And so we're still doing some good. Um, but we would say, um, that that's trying to say that the end justifies the means. In this case, the means being an unjust law. And so we would say that, biblically speaking, that we're not at liberty to do that, even if we think we're achieving some good end. Um, and so, again, that's not doing the issue justice, but that's as quickly as I can um, why we don't think it's biblical to, to regulate abortion. Um, reason two, it's unconstitutional. So we look at the Constitution we see an unalienable right to life. We see an unalienable right to the equal protection of the law. And so when we put forward a 20-week ban or a heartbeat bill, we're putting forward a bill that is unconstitutional. Now, it's not unconstitutional for the reasons that the Supreme Court has said, that the judges argue that it's unconstitutional, but it is unconstitutional. It's denying the rights to life and equal protection to preborn children. And so with these laws, we're giving up our ultimate foundation, God's word. We're not writing a just law. And then we're giving up our secondary foundation, the Constitution. And so we've laid down our two main weapons in the fight against abortion. And we don't believe that's practical. We don't believe it's, 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 it's principled. And so, we, uh, yeah, we can't, we can't violate our foundations. Um, reason three, uh, incremental bills dehumanize preborn children. And so I discovered this uh, very early on when I became an abolitionist. I met with my, my state senator in Ohio, and uh, I told his aide, you know, here's what an abolition bill is. Here's why we need one in Ohio. And her response was, you know, this is very interesting. And, you know, I, I like what you've had to say, but it's Senator Brenner's personal religious conviction that life begins at a heartbeat, right? Now, where does someone learn something like that, right? They don't learn it from God's word. They don't learn it from science class. They learn that from championing the heartbeat bill. Andrew Brenner was a champion of the heartbeat bill for six years. He was a pro-life hero, right? Champions his heartbeat bill. He fights for it on the floor. He fights for it out in the culture. He rallies churches to come support the heartbeat bill. And eventually he internalizes the lessons taught by the heartbeat bill because the law is a tutor. And so he's learning through promoting the heartbeat bill that life begins at the moment that a heartbeat can be detected, right? Because the law is a tutor. Like Russell discovered this at an abortion bill here in, here in Norman uh, back in 2016 or 17, when a woman said, it's okay, it's okay, I'm pro-life, but my baby isn't going to feel any pain, so it's okay, right? Well, where did she learn that? From the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. My, my other colleague, Sam Riley, he was at a college campus doing outreach, and a young woman comes up to him, and she says, you know, what do you guys say about abortion in the case of rape? And he says, that's never okay, right? Humans are created in the image of God. That's true in the case of rape. 
We cannot murder children conceived in rape. And she breaks down in tears, weeping. And she says, thank you for saying that. When I talk to pro-lifers who make this exception, or they, they, they write laws, you know, allowing children to be murdered in the case of rape, it makes me feel like my life isn't as valuable because I was conceived in rape, right? And so with these bills, with, with, with rape exceptions, with allowing for murder up to heartbeat, murder up to 20 weeks, we're dehumanizing those people. Not necessarily intentionally. I'm not saying that, that the, the authors of those bills are intentionally trying to do that. But that is the effect because the law is a tutor. So reason three, why do opposing incrementalism? It dehumanizes preborn children. Uh, reason number four, it cements judicial supremacy. Uh, you know, you, you just touched on this earlier, um, how we think ignoring Roe is the correct strategy. And when we write laws that, that, that treat Roe as the law of the land, that's only cementing the Supreme Court's kind of the, the, the fiction that they foisted on us, that they are the law of the land, right? Roe is unconstitutional. And even like, like far left legal scholars will admit that it's unconstitutional. Um, it had no basis in the text of the Constitution. And so we shouldn't be cementing that with laws that bow down to them. And so one of the things that I like, I like to point out a lot is that ignoring Roe is the right thing to do, right? From Exodus 1, from Daniel 3, from Acts 5, we see examples of, of, of defying tyrants being a biblical thing to do. But it's also more likely to make the court actually overturn. If we want Roe to be overturned, the right way to do it is to put pressure on them, to expose them as the paper tiger they are. Say, no, this is not constitutional. And here in Oklahoma, here in Texas, Indiana, Idaho, Missouri, Kansas, wherever, we're not going to abide by it. And when when we when we bow up in that way, the court is going to respond to that because people like John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, this is all they do when 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 they make court decisions, right? They are they are weather vanes that just show wherever the cultural winds are blowing. And so we need to blow in the direction of abolition, and and that's what will get them to eventually. That 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 fear, that political pressure, is what is more likely to get them to overturn Roe. Um, and so that's reason number four uh, we, that we shouldn't cement judicial supremacy. Number five, pro-life laws. Kind of the main argument that's made in favor of them is that, that they save lives. And if that is to whatever degree that's true, praise the Lord for any any humans who are alive today because of that. But when you look at the stats, abortions are going down across the board in New York and in Texas, right? In Illinois and in in a lot of pro-life states. Now here in Oklahoma, actually, we passed nine pro-life bills last year. We passed pro-life bills every session, and abortion rates have actually gone up went up 16% from 2016 to 19, despite pro-life bills being passed every year. And so I don't think pro-life bills are very effective in doing that. But in any case, even if pro-life bills are going down in certain states, they're also going down in, in pro-abortion states. And so we don't see a significant uh, effect that these pro-life regulations are, are having. And so, um, yeah, that'll be reason number five. Reason number six, and this is the one that, that we stress a lot here legislatively, incremental bills are a substitute for abolition. And so the Texas Harvey bill, I know we're going to get to that. Um, we're going to get to that way later on here in more detail. But when we look at that, people are saying, well, it's, it's saving 50 lives a day or 100 lives a day, 150 lives a day, however many lives. Um, what it's actually doing is it provides political cover for the people who kept abortion legal in Texas. Now, let me explain that. There was a bill to completely abolish abortion in Texas, completely treat it as murder, um, and it would no longer be legal. And if you do it, you would you would be charged with murder in some degree. And so you had that bill and you had some co-authors on that bill. But then you had the Republican establishment in Texas, who said, nope, we're not going with that bill, but we are going to pass this Harpy bill and, and this other pro-life bill about um, basically how, how you can send abortion pills through the mail. And so now they're pro-life heroes, right? These Texas Republicans, they're the, the, the best pro-life heroes we've ever had, you know, since Roe v. Wade. But they're also the people who kept abortion legal. They spiked the bill that would have abolished abortion in Texas. And that is the strategy of the Republican establishment in Oklahoma and Texas and all these states. They see an abolition bill come up. They say, nope, we're not going to go with this. But to save our own careers, we need to pass pro-life bills 
so that we can campaign as pro-life heroes to get reelected. And that's what we're seeing in state after state after state after state. So Jeff Leach, the man who killed the, the bill to abolish abortion in Texas, he put forward um, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act in 2019. So he, he kills the bill to abolish it. He puts forward a bill that does absolutely nothing. It passes. Texas Alliance for Life gives him the Pro-Life Hero of the Year award. So he's the Pro-Life Hero of the Year. He's up on stage at Texas March for Life, all this stuff. And he's literally the chairman of the committee where the abolition bill was, and he did not allow it to be voted on. And so we have the people who are keeping abortion legal being rewarded because they're putting forward these substitutes in the place of abolition. And so that is reason number six why we would say incremental bills should not be supported. And so again, just to recap, we agree um, with you guys. And I think the majority of the pro-life movement, abortion is murder. But then there's the divergence on should we support incremental bills? Um, and we would say, no, we should not. We should keep focus, keep the main thing, the main thing. Treat abortion as murder. Don't treat it as health care. Hold, hold, the, hold, a, hold a hard standard and say, Republican politicians, if you want our vote, you must abolish abortion. We're not going to be satisfied with anything less than that. Yeah. Okay. That's what we would say. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's a lot to take in. Uh, so I'm going to throw this back over to you guys, pro-life man, because th- there was a lot of points there. Um, James kind of skipped ahead on some of it, so we'll just go with it. So just for the listeners, it sounds like our foundation is the same. Uh, life begins at conception, abortion is murder. From there, it's sounding like the tension is on how we accomplish that, whether it's through legislative acts or uh, politically. And I've seen I've seen from both sides. I've seen you two at Free the States post some stuff about pro-lifers and go, hey, they're difficult to work with because all they want is incrementalism. And then I also have seen posts from the pro-life guys, pro-life man, guys that go, Hey, you can't work with an abolitionist because it's all or nothing. And what about all those lives that are kind of, uh, you know, lost. So, um, pro-life man, could you guys kind of maybe respond to that and, and say where you are on that charge of incrementalism or where you are on like bills in Texas to where I think in Texas, I think it's still abortion up to six weeks essentially. So, so my question would also be there. I'll just tag that and you maybe can both answer this after, um, pro-life man, uh, answers, but, um, do, do we support that? Can you biblically support a bill that still allows abortion up to a certain point? And if so, why or why not? Yeah, uh, thanks for very clearly laying out your position. Uh, I appreciate that. There was a lot there. And so forgive me while my brain wraps around a lot of these and tries to respond to these eloquently. Um, you're a very good speaker, James. Um, so first of all, before getting it too much into the disagreement, I do want to say that um, we we will find ourselves agreeing on a lot. Um, especially when it comes to frustrations with the pro-life movement, you know, being pro-life man and a newer and very tiny pro-life organization, you know, we've experienced pro-life uh, elitism, if that's what you want to call it, where, you know, you're not welcome to the club, you're not welcome to the party because you're not a part of this elite, you know, kind of closed club where everyone decides, you know, what to go after next, what what to parade, what to be silent about and stuff like that. And, and that's very, very frustrating to us. Um, we call some of that out. For instance, um, we just recently went to the first ever pro-life men's conference down in uh, Texas, put on by CareNet, and all the major pro-life organizations that at least weekly or at least once every couple of weeks, they they post about, we need more men in the pro-life movement. And yet here's this first ever pro-life men's conference, and they were all silent about it. And it's just like, I'm left here wondering, why, why are you guys silent about this? I thought you want more men in the pro-life movement, or is that just a popular talking point? That gets you clicks and, and and likes and whatever else, you know, or do you only want the men to join your pro-life organization and not actually join the pro-life movement broadly, but just just for you, you want to hoard them all or whatever. So it's, it's, it's really annoying. There are also we've experienced 
pro-life laws, strange pro-life laws that effectively do nothing. Um, I was familiar with a, a dismemberment ban bill that was going through a state. And I, unlike just everyone else of just listening to the talking points and listening to the email and everything, I actually read the bill. And the bill said, you can't dismember a live baby in the womb. If it's dead, you can dismember it. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Then, the okay, the abortionist now has to insert poison or saline or whatever to kill the baby first and then dismemberment. Okay, I don't I don't see a baby saved in that situation. It's changed maybe their procedure, but that's it, you know? And so it's just like, what what are we doing? Why did we spend three years parading this and working on this and fundraising for this when what has it actually done? And in my opinion, nothing. So we, we definitely are gonna find some, some points of agreement there. And I think that all people on either side of this debate need to actually read bills that are being put forth and not just go along with whatever the leader is saying to go along with. Um, and then when when you actually read it and there's something stupid in there, like challenge the pro-life leaders, challenge the other people that are supporting this, you know, put pressure on them. Um, the other thing that I think we can agree upon that is a major concern for us is Christian and especially pastor apathy on this topic. You know, I think Christians have been, uh, you know, just desensitized to this and, and, uh, as a result, they're dehumanizing the unborn by just like going on and living everyday life and not carrying that down the block. You know, there's 100 babies killed a day or dozens killed a day or whatever, whatever the number is. You know, um, I think we're just Christians are desensitized to this and we call them to uh, to stand up and to be a voice and to be no longer silent. Um, so I just wanted to get where we agree on things first or where I think that we agree on things first. Um now, as far as your question, Greg, forgive me, I'm, I'm going to reword your question. So, and this, this was kind of kind of come down to the fundamental disagreement between us. So you said, is it biblically and morally acceptable to support bills that support abortions after conception? I would respond, is it biblically and morally acceptable to support bills that currently decrease the current abortion rate? Yes, it is. Okay. And so what, what I, where I think we disagree is the reality of the current situation. So when you say, you know, your pro-lifers write iniquitous decrees because it says we're allowing abortion at this level, our response is, no, the, the current abortion rate, I'm figuring out my camera here, is, you know, here, it's this giant monsoon, 900,000 plus, and we all know California doesn't report abortion numbers, so I'm sure it's way higher than 900,000. Um, so this is the current level. It's way up here. And we're introducing something or we're supporting something. Pro-life man has never introduced anything, but we're supporting something that then takes this 900,000, probably fictional number, let's say down to 800,000. I don't know. You know, uh, finding out true percentages and true rates and what affects what is really hard science that no one's been able to figure out. But if I believe this bill is going to save some from the current monsoon of 900,000, I am, at, yes, absolutely going to support that bill. Um, and with the Texas bill in particular, and I'll wrap this up and let you guys respond, um, is, you know, it's been tremendously successful. It was it was brilliantly written um, given the the past and the history with the courts and with the Supreme Court and them wanting this bill to survive the court challenges and especially the Supreme Court challenge. They wrote it where it's not the the... Uh, state that's imposing this and going after people, but it's the private citizenry, citizenry suing people. And as a result of that, just to give you some evidence of potential babies saved is, you know, Texas, 75% of the abortion clinics have shut down. Houston alone, 
Planned Parenthood had th- uh, four abortion clinics and three out of four abortion clinics shut down and are still closed to this day. And so that, to me, at least, is prime evidence of this bill being effective, instead of four mills running nonstop, there's now one. And I'd just like to add that uh, we don't camp at our incremental bills. We will keep fighting until this is completely resolved, until uh, abortion is completely ended in the United States of America. We will not camp at SB8. We are coming for the rest of our babies. So very quickly, before we throw it back over to Free the States, could I just ask a follow-up question, a pro-life man, then what would your response be to um, James's kind of position that by supporting incremental bills, you're kind of bolstering the fact that uh, Roe v. Wade is a legal and right, maybe not a right, but a, but a legal ruling by the Supreme Court, that's the law of the land, when you would have some constitutional experts say, no, it isn't, it's, it's an interpretation of a law. Where do you guys land on that? So the the Supreme Court has um, interpreted the 14th Amendment to include the the right to an abortion. Now, you and I, we, you know, we all see that that's not true. That's not accurate. But this is how our system is run. We we appeal through the legal system and our goal is to get that overturned. It was a wrong decision. We all we all agree on that. But, you know, obviously we have differences in our strategy. But pro-lifers, our goal is to get that overturned and so that uh, personhood could be established through the 14th Amendment. All born and unborn persons uh, have the right to life. Okay, so James Russell, it sounds like what I'm hearing is you're saying, uh, you know, the ends don't justify the means. Maybe the pro-life men guys are saying the, you know, the the ends do justify the means. If if we're goal is the same to abolish this, then why don't we save some babies along the way? What do you guys say to that? Well, I want to say something on. We actually agree that the the system as it is 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 bad. Like judicial supremacy is bad. All, you know, I think where there's disagreement is that we want to change that system. So challenge it full on. We don't want to do anything that sort of uh, works and says it's okay. So like, there's no, there's no way of uh, changing judicial supremacy by adopting judicial supremacy. So when, if you write a bill and you're constructing the bill and you're saying, how can I write this in such a way that it will be approved by the Supreme Court and, and you're you're letting the Supreme Court continue to be the top dog. You're not really challenging that system. So we do agree that the system's bad, that the constitutional interpretation's bad, that there are unjust decrees. It all needs to be changed. Our method of changing it is to to seriously challenge it. Um, when we say ignore road, that doesn't mean we're saying uh, you know, just don't don't deal with the realities as it is. It's saying challenge the central holding of Roe v. Wade, that there's a right to abort your babies in the Constitution. We need to write laws that do not recognize that. Um, like the 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 pro-life law that Andrew was talking about, they're trying to like write a law and get it to pass. And the only way they can pass it is to allow people to continue to abort babies. And I I did this back in 2015. Um, I read like 200 straight pro-life laws. And and the thing that was common to all of them is they were working within the parameters set by them. They were saying, "You, you guys do set what is and is not going to happen. So we are going to try to come up with something clever within the system. That isn't a way of changing the system. Um, that's a way of almost awarding the system. So like Senate Bill 8, um, which I know probably James wants to get more into this, but Senate Bill 8 
um, it, you might be able to make, it's a little too early on the evidence because there's, there's also counter evidence about how many people are aborting their babies through mail-in abortion, where abortion spiking in Oklahoma and all the surrounding Texas areas. People in Texas aren't being told abortions murder. You can't do it. They're being told abortion isn't murder if you do it quickly and so on and so forth. So it, it's adjusting the numbers or moving them around. So I don't want to argue with it from an ev- evidential basis right now while it's still there. But the bill itself basically has a number of things in it that just on the word of God alone, you really can't support. Like it literally says governing authorities in the state of Texas cannot bear the sword of justice against evildoers. The governing authorities can't, but civilians can. Um, Where a pro-lifer would be like, that's clever. And abolitionists would be like, that is never going to change the Holocaust. They're just going to come up with a clever way of dealing with that. It's not, it's not going at it head on. SB8 also, it has the heartbeat thing, but it also has like language, which is impartiality um, towards, you know, certain people or partiality towards certain people or others. It also has language acquitting the guilty. It says that no mother is going to be punished for pursuing an abortion. So a mother could pursue an abortion after the heartbeat and she's protected by law. Like we should not write laws that protect murderers or 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 tell people you're you're not going to get in trouble if you murder your preborn child. All of that stuff, whether it saves some babies for a period or not, and, and whether you can argue for it pragmatically, which James already mentioned that they passed SB8 instead of abolition. So if you're going to argue that it decreased abortions a certain amount, you have to actually argue that it allowed abortions for a certain amount. Because every vote for the Senate Bill 8 could have been a vote for the abolition bill. So just put the pragmatic numbers argument to the side. But what we do know is that all the people, young men, women, everyone in Texas is being informed that the governing authorities in the state of Texas will not treat abortion as murder, will not punish abortion as murder, and will protect you. Um, That law in and of itself is an unjust, immoral law, and Christians shouldn't support it. Now, someone comes along and says, no, 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 I don't care about what is and is not Christian. I don't care about what is and is not biblical. I'm just trying to save lives. And they sort of embrace the pragmatism. The, the problem is, is abortion continues to go on for 50 years with people embracing the pragmatism out of claims that it's going to probably save some babies. And maybe it does. Maybe, it, maybe abortion numbers go down a little bit, but it keeps it legal. And it establishes judicial supremacy. It establishes dehumanization. It establishes all, and it tutors the culture. And so it doesn't actually go to the root of the issue. And so um, we would oppose it. And some would say, well, but what about all those lives? Are you opposing all those lives? Well, we think that if we do it God's way, honor him in accordance with the scripture, that really will save more lives. I think it would save more lives immediately. Like if they passed a total and immediate abolition of abortion in Texas act and enforced it, that would save more lives immediately. But it also saved more lives in the long run because it's going to challenge Roe v. Wade. It's going to set it up to where state after state can become free of the abortion Holocaust. Um, and so even on a pragmatic level, it's it's really hard to argue with pro-lifers who now in the 50th year are saying the same thing we're doing this to save as many babies as we can. And we got 70 million murdered children um, under 350 pro-life laws. Um, but I, I, I do want to stress the point of if we are all in agreement with changing the system, we need to stop sort of bowing down and working within it if it is in error. And the bigger point, 
We need to do things that God gets behind. I don't think just from his word, God doesn't like God. He says, woe to those who make iniquitous decrees. And he actually like hates people who acquit the guilty. So just go to Bible hub and put, put in acquit the guilty. If a law says that the guilty party is acquitted from charges, God hates that law. So God wouldn't write or support Senate Bill 8 just according to scripture. So he's not going to get behind it. So I don't believe that it's going to ultimately do what it purports to do. I do believe that it's going to delay abolition and it'll be one more thing to do before we ultimately get around to what we all need to be unifying together. And that is uh, just in biblical laws that God will support. Because I think we do need God's help and not to put God in a box, but I don't think he likes using things like unjust, wicked decrees, which he tells us not to do. I don't think he rewards us whenever we do that. I think that we sometimes do these because we, and I'm not trying to be too harsh here, but I think sometimes we lack faith that standing on God's word and doing what he says is going to save lives. So we try to do something else. And that something else is what ultimately causes us not to save lives because we don't have the backing of Almighty God. So real quick, um, one more point on that, just kind of honing in on the system and kind of what, what system we have and what to do about it. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of working within the system that has been set up. And when we look at that system, we don't see a judiciary that has unconditional power to, to tell the states and to tell you know, Congress and the president to do what to do unconditionally like that they can't be challenged. What we have is a system of checks and balances where each branch has a way of checking the other if, if a certain branch goes tyrannical. And so the ways to check the judiciary, we've, we've got two of them. You can you can impeach a judge or a justice, or you can ignore their decision. You, you can practice nullification. nullification. And those are, are, are the only two checks and balances available if the judiciary becomes tyrannical. And so I think where we'd agree is the judiciary is being tyrannical, right? For the, for the Supreme Court to say, Oklahoma, Michigan, you know, all the states, you must allow child sacrifice in your state. That that is that is that's is tyranny, right? It's wrong. And so what we would say is we don't have a system where a branch can say whatever they want and everyone else has to bow down. We have a system of checks and balances. And so when one goes way outside of its of its constitutional bounds, in this case they have, right? They've they've gone as far as it is possible to go outside of their bounds. They've said you must allow genocide. Right. We don't think we have to bow down to that. We, we say, no, we're going to uphold the Constitution. We're going to obey Christ and we're going to abolish abortion. Now, the question is whether or not that's that's possible. If it is possible, I hope there'll be agreement that that is what what we should do, because obviously that is. Um, yeah, that would result in the immediate abolition of abortion. And I don't know. I can't speak for you guys necessarily, but I think most of the pro-life movement, their biggest objection to abolition bills has been, well, it's not possible. Right. We can't go against the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has said and we have to work within what the Supreme Court has told us, but we're like, no, the Supreme Court has to work within what the Constitution has told them, and we should obey the higher law, which is first above the Supreme Court. There's the Constitution is higher than the Supreme Court, and then above the Constitution, there's 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 God's word. Um, and so we're going to instead of upholding a rogue opinion of the Supreme Court on on one side, we're going to obey God's word and the Constitution over on this side. And so those those are kind of the two sides. Are we going to uphold Roe v. Wade? Or are we going to uphold God's word in the Constitution? And we would say uphold God's word in the Constitution. And we think that is both the right thing to do. And we think it's within the system that we actually have um, already. Yeah. And in the state of Oklahoma, we have the population numbers, the Senate majority, the House majority, the governor. Like literally the pro, pro-choicers, pro-abortion people are not keeping abortion legal. We, if all the pro-lifers theoretically adopted an abolitionist strategy in the state of Oklahoma, You'd pass a bill, you'd enforce it, and you'd tell the 
Supreme Court to send their army to make us murder babies. Um, it's and they don't. So it's not like it's not possible when pro-lifers say this isn't possible. They need to say this isn't possible because we, the pro-life majority, aren't for it. The reason it's not possible is because pro-lifers don't support it. And and and, and we now have about five years of sh- hardcore evidence that the reason abortion isn't abolished in Oklahoma is because they're pro-lifers. They do. They don't. They don't adopt our um, yeah. strategy. So why don't why don't you think they support it? If I'm if I may. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that a lot of, I mean, there's, I, I can't speak to all of their motives or anything like that, but I think they really do buy the the difference. I think they they really do believe that after 40, 50 years of uh, kind of indoctrination in the view, they really do think that what the Supreme Court says goes, and the only way to deal with abortion is to elect pro-life presidents who appoint, uh, appoint pro-life justices who then try Roe v. Wade and then send it back to the states or federally criminalize it. They, they, they believe that is the only way to do it. And they've been doing that for, you know, decades. Yeah. And just a, a quote in proof of that. So Texas Alliance for Life, um, uh, opposing the abolition bill in Texas, what Joe Poyman, the director of that organization said is, we could no sooner ignore SCOTUS than we could ignore the force of gravity. And so again, that doesn't necessarily apply to every single pro-life individual, but that is most of the pro-life politicians and the leaders of the big groups. That is their position. We can't go against the Supreme Court. Yeah. And so that is the primary, um, primary objection that we face. There are some other smaller ones, but, yeah. but that, that is the main one. And, 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 so. and, they, and I think that they're thinking we, we can't do this sometimes out of fear, but sometimes they may, they may think they just really can't. Now, of course, we try to tell them they can. People do this for marijuana. People do this for all sorts of funding and budget issues. Nullifying Supreme Court decisions is like American. You know, I mean, the Supreme Court said you have you can't help runaway slaves. And Wisconsin says, I get you, but we're going to anyways. And this this does this challenge gives birth to the Republican Party, the impulse to try to right the wrongs of slavery in the United States of America. But like this nullification, like standing up against the court, it does take a lot of courage, a lot of faith. It will be costly if you have a desire to move up in the political world. Like say you're a state representative, but you want to someday be a Washington, D.C. congressman. You may not want to challenge the Fed, but um, this has happened time and time again in the United States of America, where the Supreme Court has changed their rulings on segregation, on gay marriage, good things and bad things. Um, here in the state of Oklahoma, we have more weed shops than we do churches. I don't know if that's true, but we have a lot of weed churches. Uh, weed, <laughs> weed shops. shops. <laughs> we have a lot of weed shops, and every one of those weed shops is uh, in direct violation of federal law and the Supreme Court ruling and Gonzalez v. Gonzalez v. Raich. They ignore Raich. And, and we're saying the whole idea that you can't do this is false. You do do this. You just don't do it for pre-born human beings. Yeah. And so that's, you know, so I, I, I don't want to say yeah. wh- where they're lacking faith, but it seems to be a big issue there. So, yeah, that's a lot to take in. So, uh, Andrew, Thomas, did you guys have anything in kind of response to that or something you heard that you said, no, that I might see that a little bit differently? Yeah, well, um, there's a few things. One, you know, I feel like you're acting like pro-lifers have never challenged. You, you just laid out in the most recent part of your argument of like, oh, there's all these challenges to the Supreme Court. We would say many of the heartbeat bills or, or sorry, pro-life bills, including heartbeat bills, challenge Roe v. Wade, the 15-week abortion ban that's currently before the Supreme Court that will have a decision in the next few months that obviously challenge Roe v. Wade. We don't, we're not timid, shy, afraid to challenge Roe v. Wade. That's actually our strategy. That's actually what we're doing. And, and the Supreme Court is the chief of 
you, re- you read our founding, you read the founding documents, read the Declaration of Independence. The Supreme Court is the chief law um, uh, body in the land that it also dictates what lower courts must follow. Now, of course, some lower courts will go against those rulings, but by and large, they must follow what the upper court says. And these these things where they've ignored other rulings, they're not apples to apples comparisons. So let's take marijuana, for instance. This isn't a case where the Supreme Court says you have a right to smoke marijuana. And then the state said, no, you don't. And we're outlawing marijuana in our states. No, it's actually the opposite. The Supreme Court, the federal government has said, we are making this illegal. And the states have said, oh, well, we're making it legal. That's way, way, way different than a Supreme Court establishing a right, which again, I would disagree with this establishment of this right, but they have said abortion is a right due to the right to privacy. The government treats rights much, much differently than it does um, prohibiting things, right? And so they're going to fiercely defend that right much differently than they're going to say, hey, don't smoke weed. And the states say, up yours, we're going to let people smoke weed anyways. They're, they're not apples to apples in any way, shape or form. And you, all, you often say on your website, on your podcast, that the Supreme Court has no army. Well, actually, if the executive branch agrees with the Supreme Court, the executive branch does have an army. And we've seen it before with the end of uh, segregation. And what was it? Georgia didn't want to follow along. And the president, the executive branch, sent in the army, the National Guard, to, um, to so therefore, the Supreme Court's army, because the executive branch went along with it, um, to enforce this Supreme Court ruling of desegregation. Um, that's my initial thoughts, Tom. Yeah, I, I just want to just emphasize that, um, especially with a president like Joe Biden. Let's say you effectively abolish abortion in one state. And let's let's say it's Oklahoma. There's going to be immediate challenges to that. And courts are going to, you know, let's just say theoretically, it, get, it gets struck down. It goes all the way to the Supreme Court and it says, no, you can't do this. And then what next? You know, if, if you continue to ignore Roe uh, by not bowing down to the Supreme Court, uh, the president could send in the National Guard. And we are behind them. What's that? We are, we like, we are for, so y'all say, we are for that. We are for challenging and defying yeah, so when, and standing our ground. When, when Russell says, says challenging, uh, just going back to your point real quick. So, um, when we say challenge row, we're, we're saying, yes, we're, like a Harvey bill in some sense challenges row. But when we say challenge, we mean challenge their authority to force us to allow murder. Like we're saying, um, that's what we mean by challenge. Like you don't have the authority to actually force us yeah. to do this. Not just that we think you're wrong and you should change your opinion, but you actually don't have the authority to legalize murder. That's not that's not within your yeah. purview. Because so the positive right to life. That's yeah. why it's not apples and oranges. There is a there is a right to life and equal protection under the laws. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, but they've also established this right to abortion. They have. We don't have to agree with that. We don't have to like it. But but that's that's where it's not marijuana. We need they've to challenge the right. I you agree. Have to you have to, so so one way of challenging it is to to actually challenge it. And the other way is to sort of try to work within the parameters that they set. So like the 15 week thing is is attempting to try to get them. It's not saying we're challenging the central doctrine of Roe, the right to abortion and the right to privacy. It's saying that we're challenged the viability standard, moving it down to 15 weeks. But we are not going to put an undue burden. So like a lot of after KCV Planned Parenthood, a lot of pro-life laws are written and whether they pass or don't pass or they're upheld or not upheld is that question of will this put an undue burden on women seeking 
abortion. Um, and they try to write it so that it doesn't. They'll actually go on the news or they'll write in their own blogs and stuff. This this isn't putting an undue burden. It's just, you know, saying that we're going to protect babies, you know, a little earlier. Um, and so we're saying, no, 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 this whole thing is wrong. Like we all agree that abortion is murder and it should be criminalized. Um, I, I guess, I mean, all of us may agree with that, but like, I don't think it's just to call it challenging that um, if our way of challenging that is to sort of submit to it. Like, and that wasn't like with the desegregation stuff, with the Federal Fugitive Slave Act nullification stuff, it wasn't it wasn't people saying, hey, you ruled in this earlier thing. Uh, we're going to try to modify that. They're saying you ruled in this earlier thing. But here in our state, black kids and white kids are are going to going to have school together or, you know, are, are, are the opposite. Like, well, we're not going to follow that. Um, yes, the army could be sent in. Um, yes, there could be sort of like economic, like say Joe Biden doesn't send an army into Oklahoma to, to force abortion clinics to remain open, but he says, well, I'm not going to send you money. Um, or no, we're not going to okay. fund the roads or whatever. Like on this issue, we need to say, okay, we, 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 we'll count the cost. We'll figure out how to pave our own roads, but we'll protect babies. And so like the threat of they may send, it may be difficult. That's not really an argument against us because here we are in the 50th year of the Holocaust. And we say, no, no, no. Even if this costs us our very lives, we need to stand up. And it's that spirit, that mentality that I think is actually going to change things. Um, a, A spirit of working within the parameters and trying to sort of nibble at it, um, which I would say is, has been the dominant spirit for the past five decades, um, it, I don't think that it actually changes the court because I don't think it really challenges the court. Um, it kind of says, accepting you guys as, um, I think you said that the your understanding was that the Supreme Court was the, you may have misspoke, said it was like the highest law. It's the highest legal, highest legal institution. Yeah, yeah it's the highest. So, so they're, they are the, the people who are supposed to sit in judgment and interpret what is and is not constitutional. And that has been there from the very beginning. But the, the question there is when they're wrong, what yes, you do exactly. like and, and when they're wrong um, is also something that was highly debated by the Federalist, Anti-Federalist and, you know, all that stuff back at the founding. Like we must have an ability to challenge them when they're wrong. And to quote Thomas Jefferson, it's a state's right to nullify. They say it's natural. Every state has a natural right to nullify because yeah. I think when we're talking about something as evil as Roe v. Wade, um, it's like I, I'm glad that there is a Tenth Amendment that it does limit the federal government and that there is kind of all these um, kind of legal arguments that were made by, by the founders for defying tyrants. But even more so than any argument made by by the founders for defying tyrants, there is a natural right always immutable for all men at all times uh, to go against something that is blatantly evil. Yeah. And that's what we have. And so like, even like we'll make constitutional arguments for ignoring Roe and abolishing abortion, but ultimately it, we, we don't even need the constitutional arguments. We have a natural right to go against evil and that's what we have. Now, will it be difficult? And this goes back to one of the points that you made, um, Andrew, you were talking about how it's not the same as marijuana, because in this case, we're trying to, to, to ban something that they've legalized instead of legalizing something that they've banned. And I would say, yes, that does make it a bit more tricky. It's, it's harder to ban something that they legalize, so it's it's more difficult. But it doesn't it doesn't make it impossible or mean we shouldn't do it. It just means it's going to be a little bit more difficult in this case. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I would concede it's different. It's not quite apples to apples. Apples and oranges, but they're both fruit. Yes, apples and oranges, but they're both. Fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it both requires. Um, okay, so it seems like we're getting up here in the clouds too, uh, in in constitutionality and things like that. I would just 
press maybe both of you guys one more time on this point, and then we'll go get to our last point here. I think we're almost already an hour in. Um, yep. So, you know, for, for the Free the States guys, I would say, you know, I've heard arguments um, from constitutionalists, conservative and liberal, that say, hey, look at uh, slavery wasn't overturned. Uh, in, in a in a single day, there was incrementalism there. Just because you can see it in the writings of Madison and some of the founding fathers, they said, "Look, at we can't afford the economic issue that's going to happen if we totally abolish slavery." But uh, we're going to write we're going to write a declaration that says all men are created equal. And there's been some that have made that argument that even like a uh, Jefferson who who owned slaves saw off, and later some argue became an abolitionist. Um, James Monroe, which my county is named after, same thing early in his life, and then an abolitionist in slavery, uh, that, that they kind of saw off and said, look, this thing isn't going to happen overnight, but we're going to lay the foundation for something that might happen in the future. Could you take that same argument into incremental bills as well? And two, I would say, what if you have someone that comes up to you and goes, oh, yeah, you guys believe that that bill shouldn't have been passed. My my life was saved because of that. I, I'm a person walking around right now, a live human being, because they banned it up to a certain amount. Uh, my mother was not able. Thank God she isn't. We're all grateful that I'm alive and that she didn't abort. I would say that, that those might be some emotional arguments to it, but it also could be some constitutional arguments to it that not, not everything happens in one bill or one overturning that sometimes it does take steps to get there. Um, I would say maybe quickly respond to that. Um, and then pro-life man, I was hoping we could get your response to that as well, since uh, the free, the States guys have been uh, taking up some time here. That's okay. They should, <laughs> I think they should go first. Okay. So, so, so yeah, I don't want to press down too much longer on the incrementalism, but that's kind of where I see this difference in these two camps. One says, Hey, don't, don't embolster. Don't, don't, you know, ignore row the challenge it. Uh, and the other one says, look at, we, we have to do something. And, and sometimes these bills do save lives. They do a lot of times. And we're going to keep working towards that goal incrementally. What's your response to that pro-life man? So Paul expresses in, uh, you know, the apostle Paul expresses his uh, great lengths that he will go through to save some people uh, in first Corinthians nine. And I'm just going to paraphrase this to, to make it quicker. Uh, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like under, like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And then uh, just a, a quick theological background of, of history, the, the history of sin. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden were given dominion. That dominion was taken away through deception. So Satan has dominion. Uh, that dominion was taken by Jesus at the cross and through the, the resurrection. Uh, but there's this this conflict right now in, in the age that we're in uh, of you know the dominion of of Christ versus the dominion of Satan, and so we as as his followers are taking back this land that that Satan has, and these incremental bills. That's what what these do uh, with with uh, the the SBA that uh, that heartbeat at six weeks versus viability at uh, twenty four weeks. That is. Uh, Three fourths of of lives saved right there. Theoretically, you know, we we can get into to debate about how much it actually saves, but but twenty four weeks versus uh, six weeks, 
And we're not saying that that abortion up to six weeks is good or acceptable, but we are pushing that back and we are restraining and we are restricting with, uh, with the intent to abolish. So we're doing what we can now to save some lives. And, and I feel like, you know, these, these incremental bills, you know, obviously that there are some bad bills there, there are, but you know, I just want to say to to the pro-lifers, like knock it off, like with the exceptions, we need to knock it off. There are people like uh, Rebecca Kiesling, who's a phenomenal lawyer, who's, who's fought for, uh, the unborn um, in the cases of rape, and so so we don't we don't have to get into all that, but but just knock it off. We need to unify together, and these incremental bills push back the powers and principalities of darkness. Yeah. So Thomas, really really quickly, I would just like to follow up question before you guys jump in. So you said, hey, look at uh, bills that are up to six weeks. Uh, we don't accept them or support them, and they're and they're bad. But and then you said you know, we would support a bill that says at a certain time up to a certain amount of weeks because it saves three fourths or whatever that number is of life. So but by supporting a bill that might say up to six weeks or up to 12 weeks or whatever that is, aren't you then saying you're accepting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's abortion is okay up to that amount. No, because okay. abortion is already legal at that point. We're not saying it's okay to abort up to six weeks. That's, not- that's not what we're saying. We're saying we're pushing back the goalpost. And we're going to save as many as we can. These babies are already dying. This is not new legislation that allows for new abortions to happen. We are pushing back yeah. these abortions and, and these goalposts. Yeah, without without kind of straw manning and saying you guys are for abortion up to six weeks, like we should never argue that way. But I think it, it's not saying thou shalt not murder by abortion. It's saying if murder, if you're going to murder by abortion, you have this time frame to do it legally. Like because so so for instance, you find out you're pregnant, you you would have you know 20 weeks to decide. In the state of Texas, we're now telling you you have four or, or six. Um, and so that's what that's what the law is saying. But like it is just not not what you want. But it is supporting a law that legally protects people from prosecution for aborting their babies in the first six weeks of their lives. Yeah, it's, it's how the law tutors the culture, like you said. It, how, it tutors, how tutors them. They, if you want an abortion, you have to do it in this time period. And so what you'll have is yeah. people just who are more careful to take pregnancy tests more yeah. quickly so that they're able to do it uh, quickly. But yeah, I also stockpiling to, of abortion pills is a big problem in Texas right now. Yeah. So two other quick points that I wanted to make. Um, one, responding to the, to the original question about kind of didn't the abolition of slavery um, kind of happen over time. And this was something that William Lloyd Garrison, who was kind of the leading like immediate abolitionist, this, this was something that he actually addressed. You know, he said, demand immediate abolition as earnestly as we may. Alas, it may be gradual abolition in the end. Um, and so what he's saying there is, look, we're, we're, our standard is going to be this. We're going to proclaim the truth that uh, no man is the property um, of another in the sense that the American law is currently treating them as property. These are image bearers. Mm. Um and we're going we're gonna to demand that. And it might happen over, it probably will happen. Like it, God could bring immediate repentance to the whole nation. God is, is sovereign. He, he could do that. But how it typically happens in history is it happens slowly. But it happens slowly because there's a group of Christians who are saying, here's the standard. We're not moving. You guys are going to have to move to us. Mm-hmm. And so we're not saying it's, it, it has to happen immediately. Yeah. But we're saying that our demands have to be in line with God's and that we're going to hold the hard line and make people move to us. Immediatism is a kind of a, 
a confusing word because it we know it's going to take time. Okay. No. Yeah. 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 Overnightism is kind of a way of strawmanning it. It's like calling for the total abolition of abortion immediately. Um, yeah. It, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years. Uh, that doesn't make me an incrementalist. Yeah. For 12 years, I've been calling for the immediate abolition of abortion. <laughs> right. You know, Wilberforce for 20 years put forward bills to abolish the slave trade and people put forward bills to regulate it and they voted for those instead. But it took him 20 years. It took British Parliament 20 years to to side with the Total Abolition Act. But that it took time doesn't mean that he wasn't always calling for abolition. Right. It right. took time because they were putting up gradualism in in place and doing that instead. One of the ways to delay abolition is to uh, put forward other. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as we as we put bookends on this, um, it sounds like we have some differences in how we work either within or without of the political system to end abortion. It's sounding like this. This and and sometimes I think with free the states that you're saying that the the way you treat that also reflects on the way you you are uh, standing biblically as well, uh, whether it's evidentially or presuppositional or is God's law supreme and all that. Now, I know we're all believers here. So as we end this, I kind of wanted you each to say biblically my standpoint, what, what is the biblical founding for me as someone who's in pro-life and may believe in incremental bills or may believe in, like Thomas said, pushing back on that standard or uh, like Free the State said, we're, no, God's law is ultimate and supreme. Uh, and for that reason, we believe we can challenge row and we don't really concern ourselves with incrementalism we concern ourselves with the abolition of it all um pro-life man could could you guys kind of sum that up as we uh your biblical standing on your uh and your pro-life uh you know stance as we uh, end the show here i uh i believe i i did <laughs> with uh with that scripture that i gave uh and then uh, like just uh the theology of the kingdom and dominion. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand uh, against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so you see this this war, this spiritual war going on, and we're, we're, we're advancing with with these incremental bills, I'm not saying it's perfect, uh, but our goal is the is the complete cessation of abortion. We're not going to stop at the heartbeat. We're going to keep going. So so you just see this this war going on in the heavenlies and on the earth, and and we're advancing. And and I would add, you know, um, you you kind of touched on it, Russell, with you know about the time, and we don't we don't. Uh, report that you guys are uh, immediate we we know that you're you're abolitionists um but you know that's that's another point of where the pro-life movement would disagree you know i i took a quote from uh i think it was may 6 2021 podcast of yours where um i, I don't want to butcher this or say it wrong you said it's not about how long it takes abolition speaking of abolition it's not about how long it takes and that's where uh, pro-lifers would fundamentally disagree we're saying we don't want to do nothing until 20 years from now when it's finally done. We want to save what we can now in between now and the 20 years. Um, you know, so our background is EMT. I'm a former firefighter. And, you know, we would have mass casualty inc incidents where we would have to do triage. And, you know, if I'm that I was on a volunteer fire department for a while and there were several calls where I was the only guy that showed up. And here I'm going to an emergency scene, a fire, a, a, a vehicle crash, whatever, completely by myself. 
Now I'm, I'm calling neighboring fire departments to assist me, to meet me there and help me. But if I know if dispatch information is, oh, there's a 40 car pile up with, with 30 possible casualties. And I'm like, I'm by myself. I'm not going to save every single person. I'm not going to refuse to leave the station and go to the scene because I can't save them all because I've realized I can't save them all. No, I'm going to go and do everything that I can and save every single person that I can. And knowing that I'm not going to save them all and some are going to die. That's not me being okay with those others dying. It's I'm doing everything that I can. And that really, in a nutshell, is the pro-life approach, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think as it regards to uh, personal action versus legislation, I would totally agree that if, if you know, whether it's a, a, a car accident or, you know, a, a boating accident, if there's people who are need to be saved and you save as many as you can and you're not able to save everyone from death, that's not you affirming those deaths. But with laws, we're talking about a different kind of category of things. We're talking about legislators who are putting into law which human beings count as human beings who get legal protection. And so in that case, we actually have the ability, like you not being able to save everyone at the accident, you're not showing partiality against those you couldn't save. It's just personal action dictated that you couldn't save that many. But when we write laws, we're actually discriminating or not discriminating against some human beings. And so we're saying we shouldn't discriminate um, against human beings. And then one other point I wanted to make, um, this was, this was uh, in response to the point about the kind of the two, the two kingdoms colliding. And I agree that, that there is, there's a progressive, or there, the, there's a battle going on between the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of God does progress incrementally. I would agree 100% with that. But the question is, how do we fight the kingdom of darkness? And we would say, as we go into that battle, we shouldn't go into that battle calling for compromises that we don't think are consistent. We think we should progress incrementally against the kingdom of Satan by saying, here is God's standard. And we're we're, we're going to use this. This is God's word. You know, you, you brought up Ephesians 6. Like, we are going to wield the, the word of God. Where We are going to proclaim things in our laws and in our messaging supporting those laws, which are consistent with the, with the, with our sword. We're going to use our sword. We're not going to compromise from what our sword says. And we are going to cut the enemy with our sword. Abortion's murder. It must be abolished. And I think when you say, well, abortion is um, health care, so we're going to regulate it in this way, or it's murder in some cases, but it's not murder in others. Even if you're not saying that with your mouth, if that's what your law is proclaiming, I don't think you're actually wielding your sword against the kingdom of darkness. I think you're wielding your sword if you say, here's what God's word says, and the enemy is not going to be able to combat that. But I think the enemy is actually going to use, as Russell alluded to, the enemy can actually use incremental bills to delay abolition, right? As we talked about, as we've seen in Texas, here in Oklahoma, where there's abolition, and there's a bunch of Christians saying abolish abortion, and then the enemy comes in and says, or I, I guess I'm not saying this is exactly how it goes, but here's something the enemy could do if he's very crafty, and we know that he is. He could say, hey, let's, 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 um, let's, kind of quiet and kind of reduce their political influence by saying that we're these pro-life heroes because we passed all these pro-life bills that don't do anything. I think that's a tactic of the enemy against the kingdom of God. And so we would say, just just wield the sword, don't fall for the distractions that the enemy may provide and call for justice and trust God with the results. Yeah. And to, and to add a bit that, just try to make it clear, like with a chess analogy, um, just look at there's been a chess game going on between life and death or whatever in this culture for 50 years. And yes, over time, maybe, you know, we're saying, you know, checkmate, abolish abortion. And someone says, well, we can't do that. But this time we took one more rook or one more bishop. Well, the other side could theoretically allow some pieces to be removed so long as the main things remain, that he wins the game, the judicial supremacy the child sacrifice being legal, all that kind of stuff remains 
true, but maybe the only way for him to keep abortion legal in a culture like ours with so many Christians who are standing up. Yeah, state like Oklahoma. Like state like Oklahoma, where you have ultrasound technology, you have all these claims of believing in human rights and all this kind of stuff. How in the world do you keep abortion legal? Well, get all the people who oppose it to support like taking some pieces off the board or saving 10,000 babies instead of 60,000. Like put put these substitutes in there, tempt them, let that compromise win so they can say peace, peace, when there really is no peace or we are winning when you're really not winning. And so um, so that's like, yeah. I in, think in, that's- In a state like Oklahoma, where it's 80% of the populace and more than 80% of the, of the legislature professes to be pro-life. And so it's like, there's there's no way to keep a culture like that, like the state of Oklahoma. Like, how, how do you keep child sacrifice yeah. going? You convince that 80% to just do it slowly, slowly over time. And that way the, yeah. the devil can keep abortion legal for, for all this time. Yeah, and, and there's no need for it. There really is no need for it. And just to get back to the ultimate question, like biblically speaking, um, I think that we do need to take the disposition of sort of like Moses against Pharaoh. When Pharaoh says, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go for three days, but your women and children have to stay. Moses says, let my people go. When he says, well, I'll let you and your women go, but your children, let my people go. Well, I'll let you all go. Just leave your animals. And he's like, not a hoof will remain in Egypt. This pushback and then like the assistance of God in the faithfulness of that is what we want to see and what we believe we can see. But kind of the arguments from pro-lifers are God, God's not doing that. Like God, you know, God is saying it's okay to do, to write laws that he wouldn't support that. I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive. I think it sounds offensive, but when you write certain laws, like the, the one that you talked about, like you can't dismember a baby in this way until you kill them first. And then you go and you celebrate them for three years and you say that you don't like that. Well, that's been pretty much my interpretation of all the all laws, all pro-life laws. Like when I read SB8, there's like four or five just clearly unbiblical things in there. But right now we have Christians who are saying, but it's good. It saves life. It's clever. And, you know, it does. But ultimately, it's not going to win the day. It's not going to to abolish abortion because it is not actually fundamentally challenging abortion. It's it's trying to be clever. And so it takes a state like Texas and the millions and millions of Christians there and gives them this other thing to do. And I, and I just, you know, I don't try to be too charismatic about this, but I just don't think that that God's behind it. And I think we it's just another thing where at the end of the year, it'll be like, look, we didn't abolish abortion, but we shut down one of now there's only one clinic when there used to be four. And it's kind of like, yeah, but that one clinic is still killing by permission of your laws. And yes, God hates it whenever babies are murdered, but he hates it when you write laws that he hates. And so let's stop doing things that God hates and let and let God, you know, bless the nations as a result. Um, so where wherever anyone falls on the whole pro-life abolition thing. I think that it's important, like Andrew said, to read the bills, like to take a bill, like a good, like the pastor of the church that I go to, like he, he was an anti-abolitionist and very vocal and an opponent, but eventually he just took the abolition bill and a pro-life bill and he set them down with the word of God in between. And he said, which one of these really matches the word of God? Um, I'm going to support that one. And he found, lo and behold, contrary to what he had always said and argued strongly that that pro-life bill wasn't just sort of like it could fit passingly within the word of God. It was actually contrary to the word of God, which will explain why it hasn't worked because it's not like, we're not just trying to be pious and do, do, do things. So we're spiritually uppity or something like that. We actually think that doing what God says 
is best. If we pursue justice, it will save more babies. I don't believe that we will ever end abortion this side of uh, the second coming, but I do believe that we can abolish it in our laws and that will save more babies than writing laws that tell people when they have to abort, where they have to abort, how they can abort, why they can abort. All of that is, 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 yeah. is, you know, it's, it's basically passing stuff that I believe that you could make an argument that it's pragmatically saving lives. But what you really need to, in this argument for Christians, is the law in and of itself, outside of whether it saves lives, is it good or bad? Is it something God? Does it yeah. establish justice? If it doesn't establish justice, but establishes inequality, it in and of itself outside of whether it proposes to save babies or may save babies, is it bad? Because God is ultimately concerned with our laws and he does bless nations on in accordance with whether they, you know, yeah. run just laws. So Andrew Thomas, I'm going to give you last word on this subject and then ask you both, can pro-life members and abolitionists work together on anything? Uh, Andrew, Thomas? Uh, really, I think we've said our piece. Um, you guys have said your piece. Um and uh, yeah, I don't think we have any anything more. I mean, we could get really deep into stuff and go on for hours, uh, you know, in, in different things. Um, I, th- I think I'm I'm good, Tom. You good? Yeah, look at my notes. I came prepared. <laughs> so while you're looking at those notes, too, um, guys, uh, Russell and James, why don't you just throw out for everyone uh, where people can get in contact with you guys and your organization for us? Yeah, so our, our YouTube channel is an important one. That's where we do our uh, our Liberator podcast. So subscribe to Free the States on YouTube or the Liberator podcast on whatever podcast app you like to use. Um, also follow Free the States on Facebook and Instagram. And then also go to our website, freethestates.org, to sign up for our email list. We'll, we're, we'll keep you updated on abolitionist legislation, abolitionist conferences, rallies, events, all that sort of stuff. And the email list is an important way that we do that. So, And Andrew Thomas, how about you guys? Where can people find you and what you're all about? Yeah, quick question. Do we get a closing statement? I just a- want to verify. Absolutely. If we let's okay, do cool, let's cool. do closing statements, then we'll we'll start with you. All right. Um, yeah. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube. Uh, we also have a podcast. We're not very active with it because we have full time jobs outside of this. Uh, but it's called the No Longer Silent Podcast. Um, and then our website, prolifeman.org. And like he said, email lists are very important. You can sign up for our email list there. We know big tech is silencing all of these views, whether you're pro-life or abolitionist. And Mm -hmm. uh, we really need, all of us really need your emails to to help keep in touch and keep everyone informed of what we're doing. And would you like me to go with my closing statement? Sure. Let's, uh, I'll tell you what, let's start with Free the States. Let's start with Free the States and we'll give you guys uh, pro-life man the last word. So Free the States, why don't we do a one to two minute closing statement, wrap it all up for everyone. Okay. So yeah, we would say, um, again, finally to kind of go back to, to where we're at at the beginning, we think on, on principle, we think that Christians, if we want to, uh, not, not even effective, but if we want to, if you want to push back the kingdom of darkness, um, with the means that God has prescribed, we think if, if we're going to take, if we really are going to take the sword and wield it against the enemy, we think we have to use demands that are in line with the sword that we've been provided, um, which is God's word, which says establish justice. And so when we put forward laws, we want them to be just, um, outside of what they do pragmatically, completely leaving pragmatics and and how it would play out um, in 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 the real world. Aside from that, we should do what's just. But then moving over to well, how is it going to play out in the real world, and and what are the practical nature? What is the practical nature of the battle that we're fighting? We think what we're doing will work. One, as Russell said, God is behind it. Um, two, if if we're going to move the Supreme Court, if we're going to move the culture, if we're going to move all of these things, 
the effective way to move culture is to say, here's the hard line. We're not budging from it. We're going to make you move to it. And proclaiming the truth powerfully is what can do that. Um, kind of coming, and this isn't necessarily, again, I don't know as much about how you guys would address this, but when we look at like National Right to Life and and, and Student for Life, a lot of these groups, the way that they they kind of fight in the political realm is they say, well, this is just a, this is just a moderate regulation. So allow us the 20 week ban or the dismemberment ban, because it's just a moderate regulation and it's common sense. And everyone should be able to agree on that. Right. They're not moving anything. They're not proclaiming the truth. They're intentionally avoiding the truth that abortions murder because they're trying to appeal to the middle. And so they're watering everything down. They're not proclaiming the truth. And so practically they're not going to move culture. They're just going to end up in a, in a constant tug of war that moves a little this way and then a little this way because they're not proclaiming the truth. If you want to move culture, if you want to move politics, proclaim the truth, act consistently with it, and you'll see culture move. You'll see Oklahoma move, Michigan move, the Supreme Court in D.C. It will react practically in the real world. The way this will play out is proclaiming the truth uh, according to God's word, using the sword biblically will actually be more practical. So we think it's more principled, it's more practical, and people should be abolitionists. And uh, and in direct answer to the pro-lifers and abolitionists working together, we really want pro-lifers to support abolition bills. <laughs> um, of course, we're not going like abolitionists are not going to support bills that don't treat abortion as murder just because of the principal practical power of it. We're not going to do that. But um, we do when there are bills of abolition, because pro-lifers make up either half of the country or a majority of the country at different times, we will not be able to abolish abortion unless pro-lifers either convert to our worldview on this or do vote for our bills. Right now in the 10 states where we've had them, pro-lifers have been the ones who either ignore them or kill them, literally in our state, vote against them. Um, So in the whole, can we work together? I think we must. Um, It doesn't mean that like a pro-lifer and an abolitionist um, have to agree on everything But what we do need to move beyond, I think now, as more and more abolition bills are actually going forward, uh, denominations are are choosing to embrace abolitionism and so on and so forth. um, It will it will it is something that we don't want to discourage at all. Mm. Um, So for pro-lifers who are looking at the abolition bill and they're thinking, um, you know, this is different than what I've always supported. um, We we're not saying, okay, this is ours, not yours. Um, we are we are the little brother. We are a small minority. We're growing. We have bills that are going out there, but there's a there's a thing that sort of developed over the past I don't know ten years or something. This idea that abolitionists um, are mean and they don't want pro lifers to be a part of what we're doing. When it's kind of the opposite. I think the the thing that annoys pro lifers so much about us is that we're asking them to kind of support legislation that is in line with what they say is their ultimate goal or is in line with their views. So, so someone says, I'm a pro-lifer. I think abortions murder. Um, the word that you've used a couple of times that it should be, um, you said it should be totally cessation, uh, complete cessation of abortion. Right. So it's like it, it whatever word you're going to use or whatever like that, the thing that you say that you want is the thing that we write into our bills. So we're, we're trying to say pro-lifers should actually support, like good pro-life, there are some bad pro-lifers out there that may not want abortion abolished, but that's rare. But like the, the pro-lifers, the pro-life groups who say, listen, abolition, I'm with you. Ultimately, I want abortion to be abolished. We're saying, well, that's what this bill says. Support the thing that does what you say you want. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no, there's no pushback on our part um, about that. 
And, and of course, yeah. you know, I think alivers and abolitionists should go to abortion clinics together, like the ambulance um, or the firefight. Like we should try in the meantime to save as many lives as possible. And that means lots of exposing of evil of abortion, lots of regular engagement. There's a lot of overlap pro-lifers and abolitionists. We all want to try to persuade people not to murder their children. So I think there's a lot of yeah. unity there that we need to find and foster. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. You're your closing statement and comments? Yeah, yeah, quick on, on on unity and then our closing statement. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I think where uh, you lose pro-lifers is all over your website, podcasts and stuff. Um, it's that uh, you basically treat pro-lifers as evil and doing things God hates and, and you lose them there. And so maybe change your rhetoric there a bit. And, and maybe you're convicted with that rhetoric and you're not going to change it. And that, that's fine. It's just an observation of mine. Um, also... It's usually the ideas, not the people. It's usually like a law that says women will not be punished for abortion. If you write, like I will say, that's an iniquitous decree and an unjust law that shows partiality to born mothers over babies. We're not saying God hates that's people. Evil, but it's not the person who supports it's evil. But I think a lot of people see it and think we're saying they're evil. Unjust laws are bad. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm just making that point. That's 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 perception from the pro life movement. It certainly is. It's just an obvious profession. I'm I'm going to keep going. Um. So the other thing is we didn't even touch this is charging women with murder, uh, charging the mothers with murder. That's another big disagreement. I know you guys know this that that's a big disagreement between the abolitionists and the pro life movement. But where I think you can win in that argument. So I personally wouldn't want women charged with murder. I have a whole myriad of reasons. It would take a whole nother podcast episode uh, to go through that. But I personally wouldn't want that. But I think where you could win in that argument is convincing pro-lifers to put the life of the baby before the innocence of the mother. Um, so maybe that's just something that you can think about. And and, and maybe that can be your I'm now being hired as the marketing specialist for Free the States, you know, but but because I I don't want women charged with murder, but I, I would personally put the life of the baby ahead of the innocence of the mother, in my own personal opinion. So that's just a, a thought of mine on unity. Um, and then our closing statements, I, I wrote this out. Um, so we are proud of the pro-life movement and pro-life Americans, although not all pro-life leaders are perfect. And maybe even some pro-life leaders have hidden agendas and intentions. Uh, this doesn't take away from the fact that tens of thousands of pro-life Americans are doing everything that they can do and know how to do to save babies, whether it's standing outside of an abortion clinic to minister to abortion-minded women or handing out free formula at a pro-life blessing closet or helping women heal from post-abortion grief post-abortion grief. Thousands of pro-life Americans, like the Apostle Paul, have become all things to all people that they might save some. We think that Christians need to repent of their abortion apathy and become more involved in this movement. The babies are worth your time, after all. And Pro-Life Man calls all Christians to be no longer silent on this topic of abortion. What does this mean to be no longer silent? This means in your everyday life, whether it's at work, at the grocery store, at family gatherings, at church, wherever, be a voice for preborn sons and daughters. If we don't speak up with them, who will? Or if we don't speak up for them, who will? Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, uh, for coming on. Um, and all those that stuck around for uh, what we thought was going to be a quicker uh, podcast or live stream, we went about an hour and a half, a little over there. And I know there could be much more said on the subject, and I'm sure both of your organizations uh, will have follows, follow up to this. And it um, looks like we had a couple hundred comments here. So it looks like you guys got the conversation oh, wow. started. Wait, we should do a part two just on that one <laughs> on the on the maybe if, if abortion is I agree do it do a part two all right well uh you know we, we might be able to get it in the works uh 
offline. But um, yeah, I do appreciate both of you guys taking the time, all of you, I should say. Um, I know we're all very busy. This is a very passionate, obviously, uh, subject to both of you and your organization. So I appreciate you coming on. Guys, I thank you for sticking in there. Uh, this will be up on April 13th. I'm going to have links on the podcast, anywhere you get your podcast to both organizations. You can check them out for yourselves. Um, guys, once again, thanks so much. And everyone that was listening, uh, we appreciate you as always. God bless. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at dead men walking podcast for full video podcast episodes and clips, or email us at dead men walking podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.